Hello again, everyone. It's wonderful to see you here today. And uh, we are continuing uh, in our uh, series, Love and Marriage. And today, as we continue to look at God's design for marriage, we're going to be talking about serving. So God's design for marriage is found in the first marriage, which is the model marriage, where after God created the first man and the first woman, uh, fitted for each other, brought to each other, uh, we read these words, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So again, a reminder if you are married, that God's will for your marriage is that in this new relationship, it would be a priority in your life. That other things can get in the way, but you keep investing time and energy in this marriage. Secondly, it's God's will for your marriage that this marriage be permanent. The word um, united comes, has the idea, the Hebrew word has the idea of glue, that it's permanent for life. But that word also has the idea of pursuit. Uh, the Hebrew word devak can, uh, means running after something, chasing it, pursuing it, and, and grabbing onto it and holding it. So it's permanent by the spouses pursuing one another, working with an, one another. And then God's will for your marriage is that you would be one, that you experience physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, and spiritual intimacy as you go through life, that there'd be this connection to each other, that your hearts would, as you go through life, be turned to each other. And uh, today, as we continue in this series, we're going to be looking at serving each other. We've got to pursue one another by serving one another. Next week, we'll be looking at forgiving one another, and then the last week in the series, we'll be growing with one another. So today we're talking about this idea of serving one another because it's so easy in a marriage for a couple to stop putting their relationship a priority and then they stop pursuing one another. They kind of get lazy or their other things take their time and attention. And then one day they wake up and they realize they're not listening to each other. They don't care really much about each other. They're not meeting each other's needs. It's easy to fall into that place. And uh, if you're there, there is hope for you because God is a God of reconnection, bringing us back to each other. Uh, so today as we talk about serving each other, we're going to talk about being committed to serving. And then uh, if that's the case in our marriage, we're, we need to be committed to communicating. And before I begin, I'd like just to say thank you to the widows and the widowers here. Um, for hanging in there for six weeks of marriage. And, and I'm hoping that, that this teaching has helped you in some way as you remember your, um, as your deceased spouse. And then if you're here and you're divorced, I want to say to you, thank you for being here because I'm sure it has been difficult. But I want to say to you, um, uh, to those of you that are divorced, that there's not one single person in this room who is better than you. There's not one single person in this room that's more deserving of God's grace than you. You are loved by Christ. You are loved by us. And a reminder to us all, nothing we do or don't do defines us. As followers of Jesus, we are defined by him. And uh, so you as a divorced person, you continue to, to find wholeness in Christ. And then if you're single um, and looking to get married again, please take notes and keep praying. And if you're here and you're single and you are planning not to get married, um, 
If you find yourself not married as a single person, I want to say to you that, yes, in one sense, you might feel like you're missing out because you don't have a, signi a significant other as you go through life, but you too, as a single person, you are to have community around you and friends, and, and you're doing life um, with others. But as a single person, you may not have a, a, a committed person, uh, a significant other right beside you, but in the big picture, you're not missing out. We are all born single. We all die single. Marriage is a temporary union. The, the eternal union is Christ and his people. And so if you're single, you will be eternally loved just like us who are at present married. So I hope everybody understands that. Are you ready to move on? Here we go today. We're going to look at three passages where we're called to serve. And if we're married, we're called to serve our spouse. And then we're going to look at communicating with our spouse so that we're meeting each other's needs. So let's begin. First passage is Matthew 16, if you have a Bible, and verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. So if you want to follow Jesus... You have to turn from your selfish ways. Some translations say deny yourself. And you have to go the way of the cross. When you think of cross, you think of Jesus dying on the cross because he loves you. You think of him sacrificing for you. You think of him serving you, meeting your greatest, greatest need. And so Jesus is saying, you're not living this way for yourself, doing just what you want to do, being selfish, but rather you're turning from that and you're going the way of the cross. You're learning to love, learning to be unselfish, learning to sacrifice, learning to give. Second passage, Mark chapter 10, and we'll begin in verse 42. Jesus called them together, the disciples, and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is teaching his disciples about serving. Now it's interesting, this conversation comes about as they're walking on, the ro on a road, and they're arguing about who would be the greatest. And in fact, it was James and John who said, Jesus, when you come into power, can we sit on your right and can we sit on your left? And the other 10 disciples hear about that request, and they are in so Jesus is going to teach them about what it means to follow them. Now, just a little context. Here's these disciples. Why were they arguing about who would be the greatest? Because this isn't the only time they're arguing about being the greatest. It's because they were immersed in a culture that was all about you becoming great. 
Okay, today we have similar kind of idea. It's all about you. Life is about you. And in this culture, in the Roman Empire, it was the uh, honor-shame culture. Your highest goal, in particular if you're a male, your highest goal was honor from other people. So with your political connections, with your wealth, with your education, with your rhetorical skill, it was all about getting noticed. It was Instagram on steroids. It was like all about you. To be shamed, to be looked down upon, that was the worst thing in life. And so in this culture, people were clamoring and clawing to get to the top. It was all about getting. It was all about power and control. It wasn't about serving. It wasn't about caring for others. And so the disciples are caught up in that culture. And Jesus says that you see how these people with power, they flaunt their authority, they're lording over people, demanding you do this, demanding you do that. He says, not so with you. Now, please note, Jesus is not saying we can't be leaders. He's not saying we can't uh, run a business or, or uh, yeah, be a leader of any sort. What he is saying is that if you're following me, when you lead, you're doing it with a servant's heart. In my kingdom, the people that are great are not the ones demanding and getting their way and being selfish. In my kingdom, the people that are great are the ones that are serving. You're following me. Look to me. I didn't come from heaven to earth to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. That I came to die on a cross for your sins uh, to, to, to release you from the payment that was demanded because of your sin. I came to serve you. Uh, third passage that Jesus talks about service and serving, and there's many in the Gospels, but this one is in John 13 where we read, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And again, this was the night before he would go to the cross. They go to, they gather together for the Passover meal. There's no servant there to wash their dusty feet, as was the custom. And none of the disciples want to do it. Again, they're immersed in, I'm great, that's beneath me. And Jesus then um, washes their feet. He serves them. And he says to them, in my kingdom, following me, I'm setting you an example that you're picking up your towel that you're serving. So all of that to say this, if you're a follower of Jesus, serving is not optional. Meeting the needs of other people is not optional. It's not like, well, I don't feel like doing it. Everybody else isn't doing it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to serve. None of us is above serving. And it is countercultural. You, 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 it's all about what do you want? How do people meet your needs? And Jesus is saying, no, are you looking at other people and meeting their needs. Now, let's apply this to Christian marriage. If you're married, you are to be committed to serving your spouse's needs, and your spouse is committed to serving your needs. But in a Christian marriage, it doesn't start with you looking at each other and saying, meet my needs. It starts with Jesus. As two followers of Jesus, you look to him first, and what he's done for you on the cross, and out of his love for you, you then look at your spouse, and the love that he has given for you, it then flows to your spouse. Jesus, in response to your sacrifice and serving me, 
help me now to serve my spouse. And that really is to be a daily thing because we're all, we all need power to serve because there's times we don't want to serve. So Jesus, in a Christian marriage, says it, it starts with him. Look to him. Uh, if you're not looking to Jesus and getting what he wants to give you, and you're, we talked about this last week, your, your greatest needs, your deep needs, like security, am I going to be okay with my future acceptance does anybody see me, know me, and love me? If you don't get that from Jesus, you're going to transfer that to your spouse. You make sure I'm secure. You make sure you accept me. And yes, there is a place for your spouse to do that. But ultimately, when you get it from Jesus, then you're in a better position to serve your spouse. You're not putting pressure on them. So we're called uh, to be committed to serving one another. We move from, if you serve me, I'll serve you, to because of Jesus has served me, I'm going to serve you whether you serve me or not. You move from a contract, and we see many marriages like that, right? You do this, I'll do that, to a covenant. We'll talk about that in two weeks, where it's like, no, Jesus, because you serve me, I will serve my spouse whether they serve me or not. So first point, if you're married, is that you are called to be committing to, committed to serving your spouse. Second point, if you're going to serve your spouse, you have to be committed to communicating with your spouse because your spouse is not like you. They're different. They have different needs. They have different temperaments, different uh, gender, different uh, personalities, uh, different, say, can we say, idiosyncrasies? Is that a good word? Different ways of looking at things, seeing things, different ways of feeling things, right? And you've got to communicate on a regular basis to better get each other. Now, Lisa and I, uh, I've mentioned this before, we're almost 30 years of marriage. We get each other finally. At least I, uh, she gets me. I'm not that complicated. Um, sorry, where'd that come from? That's not my notes. Okay. <laughs> but there's different stages of life, right? And you're constantly learning and understanding each other and, and, and getting the other person. Uh, recently, my wife and I were uh, eating a meal and, um, uh, by ourselves, and, and um, we were talking about something, and the conversation um, went to this where I said, you know, uh, hon, if anything happens to, to me, I want you to remarry. And I have shared that uh, a few times over the years. I want you to remarry someone. And she looked at me, and she said, uh, oh, I could never do that. I could never remarry. For me, I was eating at the table, and I just, there was this feeling that came over me. I was like, Dan, you've set the bar too high. <laughs> Dan, you stand alone. I kid you not, I was basking in that. Dan, I could never remarry. And there's this pause, and for some reason, she just let me, I didn't shoot, I was doing it. And then she said, because then I'd have to work through a whole new set of faults. <laughs> Supposedly she said it with a twinkle in her eye. I don't know. But, and I can tell you, just to give you the broader picture of our marriage and marriage, is she um, years ago wrote a poem and told me that I make her heart, I make her heart dance. And uh, so I've got that to prove Okay, she does love me, and I make her heart dance. Okay, so we have a wonderful marriage, but it 
takes work, this ongoing conversation. And we're going to talk more about making sure it's a safe conversation, but you've got to understand your spouse. So 1 Peter 3, 7, it says it this way. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are physically, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Peter is saying to these new Christians who are immersed in the Greco-Roman world, you honor your wife. She is equal to you. You treat her with understanding. And again, you need to understand how radical that was. Peter, like Paul, lifted women up. Okay. Today in our culture, it's if you're a Christian or Christianity, that's oppressive. You want to free yourself of Christianity. You want to empower yourself to be all you can be. Life is about you. It's a, if you want to be liberated, you need to be you and not have anything to do with Christianity. Well, if you trace um, equality, compassion, uh, justice, it all goes back to Christianity. It all goes back to Jesus. And here Peter is saying, your wife is your equal. What? No, she's not. She's my commodity. She's my piece of property. No, you are. She's equal. You are to honor her. And you are to enter her world and learn to understand her so that you can do life together. That was unheard of. In that day, you were a man, you were all about yourself and pleasure with prostitutes and those needs being met, and your wife was not somebody where you'd enter her world and try to understand her. Again, Christianity lifts up women because Jesus does. And so now I want to draw your attention to this call to us husbands. Treat your wife with understanding, which means you've got to enter her world and learn about her. How does she feel? How does she think? What's bothering her? What's exciting to her? What does she like to do? All of those things. And similarly, women, you too, are to, to learn more about your husbands as well, which means you have to have conversations. If you're going to meet each other's needs, you've got to better understand what those needs are. I want to just basically, and I've, I've mentioned this before, the five basic needs um, that Gary Chapman shares, and this is from his book, um, the five love languages and uh, words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts and acts of service and physical touch. Those are kind of like uh, five different primary needs. Um, Gary Chapman says this before he wrote the book. He said, uh, I've counseled many couples and I always remember the first time that it came to me and I understood that a wife's needs aren't exactly the same as a husband's need. He said, I was sitting in my office, and there was a couple, and they'd been married 30 years, and, um, and the woman started, and she said, uh, my wife, my husband and I, we don't have any financial troubles, so we're, we're doing okay there, and we never argue, so we're doing okay there. And Dr. Chapman's thinking, well, I wonder why you're here. And she went on to say, but in our 30 years of marriage, I just don't feel loved. Then the man spoke, and he says, I don't understand her. I do everything for her, and she doesn't feel loved. And he went on to say, is uh, we both work, and I get home from work earlier, so I uh, always start the meal, and sometimes I do it alone, but sometimes she comes and helps me. 
after the meal, uh, I do the dishes, and then later in the evening, I walk the dog, and then on, I think it was Tuesdays, I cut the grass, and on Saturday or Thursdays, uh, I help out with the laundry, or I do the laundry, and, and Dr. Chapman's thinking, he's doing all this, what's she doing? Um, but he's doing all of these things for her, and then the wife responds, and she says, Dr. Chapman, what he's telling you is the truth. He's doing all of those things, but I feel unloved because we never spend any time together talking. He's so busy cutting the grass, doing the laundry, and making the meals. Do you see what's going on here? The wife, for her, her primary love language is quality time, undivided tension. And she said, you know, for 30 years, it's like we've been roommates because we're always just doing things, but we never really talk. And for him, the guy, his love language was acts of service. He just felt like, hey, that fills me up. It should fill you up. And they were missing each other. Am I tracking here? Anybody getting this? Okay. So for you, as a spouse, what's your primary love language? Is it words of affirmation when your spouse says, you know what, um, I'm, I believe in you and you, um, you, look, you look great, you, you, thank you for, for doing this, Th- these words of affirmation. Uh, is it quality time? You really feel loved when you have the undivided attention of your spouse. Uh, receiving gifts, is it, boy, when my spouse gives me a gift, and it could be a card, it doesn't have to be expensive, but it's saying, he's thinking of me or she's thinking of me. Is it acts of service? Oh, when you do that, man, I just feel so loved. And, or is it physical touch? And this is non-sexual, the holding hands or hugging or cuddling together, I feel loved. So if you're here today and you don't know your spouse's love language, have that conversation. How do you feel loved? What, can, what do you really need that I can help with? Um, so it may not be, hey, I want you to wash my feet. Follow the example of Jesus. It might be, hey, I just really appreciate when you think of me and you get, write a note or when you, you know, you're just affirming me and encouraging me. So we all need kind of those gifts, but we each have a, like a primary gift. Just a couple other notes about serving your spouse. You're trying to find out what they need and you do it according to what they need, not to what you think they need, right? Have you been to a restaurant ever and, some, and you say, hey, I'd like to order a cheeseburger, bring me a cheeseburger and they bring you a chicken burger, right? You're kind of like, wait a second, I didn't order that? Okay, so you need to, to, to meet that need according to what they're saying, which means you have to listen. What is it they're asking? Uh, second, you need to do, we, ne- we need to do it with a joyful heart. We're not doing it begrudgingly. If you find like you've got a bad attitude about serving your spouse, go back to Jesus. Say, Jesus, because of what you've done for me, help me to have a joyful attitude to my spouse. Um, you need, we need to do it without scorekeeping. Okay. Well, I've done these four things and she hasn't done anything. There's been times in our marriage where I've been up 5-1 going into the third period and I'm like, I should be coasting right now, right? But she's had times where she's felt like she's been meeting needs. So uh, in a Christian marriage, you're not scorekeeping. It's not, well, I've done it 12 times this week and you 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 only met my needs 10. Uh, Regardless of the other person, you're saying, Lord, help me to meet their needs. Uh, and then uh, meeting needs, it will require us protecting time and energy uh, with our spouse. Now, for Lisa and myself, uh, that's been talking face-to-face daily, we try to do that, uh, couch time or whatever you want to call it, uh, just for even sometimes just for a few minutes, t- taking walks together, 
having a date night together, taking short trips together so that we keep that connection. We keep communicating uh, because what can so often happen is when we're dating and, uh, and then we get married, you know, we have the, those initial uh, feelings of romance and because we're making our relationship a priority and we're pursuing one another, but then we s- stop and all the time and energy that used to go to the spouse is now going all to the kids or it's going all to work or it's going all to hobbies and sports. If you're married, you need time and energy, even with kids, booked in with your spouse that this week we're going to do this together. And it may just be a few moments here and there, but you're making time and you're, you have energy for each other uh, to serve. So with this commitment to serve is a commitment to communicate, and I mentioned the five love languages. Here's some other things, other conversation, other needs that, that possibly um, require a conversation uh, in your marriage. If you haven't, I'm sure many of you have talked about them before, but recreational companionship um, as two friends. How much time do you spend together? How much do you spend alone? Like we're, we're going to go Tuesday night uh, and um, bowl. Anybody in the bowling leagues anymore? Is anybody bowling more? Okay, a few people. Okay, we're going to bowl or uh, we're going to hike together in the summer once a week or, or what is it uh, when it comes to recreational companionship? Is What kind of needs are there? Domestic support, what are you going to do and what's the other, your spouse going to do? And you're talking through that. Um, sexual fulfillment is another one. Uh, and this is one where uh, surveys and studies bear this out is this highlights how different we are male and female with our brains that men and women see sex very differently that it's not just um, physical it's emotional and it's spiritual and can I say to you if you are frustrated uh, or you are discouraged and you think there's something wrong with your spouse uh, there's a high high degree there's nothing wrong with your spouse and there's nothing wrong with you you just don't understand the differences and when you begin to understand how this person sees it and how that person sees it and you work together that that connection be, can be reestablished it really can another one is financial support talking about money and uh, not that we need to be rich but but one spouse says you know what doesn't matter we don't need a plan I've got everything another person says, no I'd like to see some sort of plan on paper what are we doing so you have to talk through that uh, need another need is family commitment okay with uh, in particular with children but with in-laws what does that look like um, so you gotta have these conversations and next week we'll talk a little bit more about them so that they're safe but here's the thing you need to understand or we need to understand when it comes to communicating with our spouse is that we have to allow our spouse to think differently and see things differently. Your spouse may see money a whole different way than you do. Your spouse may see sex a whole different way than you do. Your spouse may see family different than you do. And it's allowing them, within biblical grounds, it's allowing them to see things differently because that that cultivates emotional safety and it cultivates a freedom in marriage where you're not demanding that your spouse is like you that we have two people who are distinct in marriage who are still distinct but they're learning to become one serve your spouse which means communicate with your spouse so i'm going to ask you are you serving your spouse if you're married are you ongoing having this ongoing conversation we're in a safe place you're talking about your different needs 
Uh, in just a few moments, we're going to have uh, going to interview a couple. But before that, I just want to uh, close here with a couple stories about pastors who were turned from their uh, wives and they were heading towards divorce. The first one, uh, many many years ago, when I first started out in uh, ministry, there was a pastor who, I, who I, I greatly respect. I still greatly respect him, and he said uh, when I was uh, first married to my wife. Uh, the first year and a half was like it was brutal and he said uh, if you look at differences between um, husband and wife he said we were at the far extremes and by the way it's good if you have similarities as a couple uh, that helps if you are different uh, you've heard it you know opposites attract then they attack if you have significant differences you really got to work hard at that becoming one but he said my wife and I were on a far she was like this I'm like this in every area of our marriage and he and and they were heading towards divorce and he said we decided because they were Christians we decided that we would go for counseling and he said at the time I was making $800 a month so it was a little while ago making $800 a month and we spent a hundred dollars a week on counseling so half the pay was going to counseling. And uh, so they tried to make it, uh, they worked at going to counseling. Over time, it added up to $1,500 that they didn't have. They put on their MasterCard. And he said it was the best $1,500 we spent. And now decades later, these two people that he said were very incompatible, that God, through his Holy Spirit, made them compatible. There is hope for your marriage. It can happen when you have two people who both love Jesus and say, let's make this work. But it means working and pursuing each other. Uh, the other pastor that was heading for divorce said, um, in our marriage, I was a pastor, and, but my wife, um, I didn't honor her. I didn't enter her world. Uh, he said, I... I um, I came from a very dysfunctional family. I didn't see what a good marriage looked like. I, in a sense, verbally abused her from times. Like, I was very harsh with her. And he said, one, one night, God got a hold of him, and the Holy Spirit convicted him, and he got on his knees and asked God to forgive him. And then he went to his wife, and he said to his wife, um, and he asked for forgiveness of his wife, and he said, you know, I have not been loving you I have not been cherishing you. I have not been meeting your needs. I have not been respecting you. And he said, I want you to know from this day forward, I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to be the husband, a loving husband to you. He said, I'm going to prove it. And that was decades ago. And he did that, and he began to meet her needs. She, in time, she was at in, they were so far apart and she was disrespectful to him she started to respect him and in time they began to meet each other's needs and today they are one there is hope for you if you think oh we could never be there there really is and Woodside we have started a marriage ministry here and we are committed to helping couples work on their marriage now what may have taken 10 or 15 years maybe it's not going to change overnight but if you can make a bid towards your spouse and the other spouse hopefully in time will make a bid to you you can begin to become one again